0: following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. How we doing Christian Life? We doing all right? It's good to see everybody on third service. Uh, welcome. We're glad that you're here, especially if this is your first time. And uh, I want to give some special honor today. My parents are in the house. And so I want to just recognize Ernie and Becky Armstrong. you need to stand up so everybody can see who you are. I am the man I am today, in large part, to these two people. So I love you. Thank you for being here. <laughs> They're taking my kids this week. Woo! All right. I love you, son. He's over there, too. Uh, We're wrapping up this series called Running with the Giants, and it has been a fun series, and kind of the concept is that we're running around this track called life, this race marked out for us, and we have all of these awesome men and women giants of the faith that are sitting in the grandstands, and if we could call them out and say, would you speak into my life? Would you run a lap with me and tell me just your wisdom? What could you tell me that that you have learned that might help me learn it before I have to learn it myself, right? Right. And so Hebrews 12.1, that's been our theme verse as we've gone throughout this series. Uh, It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now the therefore is a continuation of Hebrews chapter 11, which is what we affectionately refer to as the hall of fame of faith. It's all these men and women giants of faith. And they're these cloud of witnesses that are watching us take our laps around the track and So it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now this word perseverance, it's not a word that we've really uh, focused on throughout this series, but it's really the heart of today's message. And perseverance is just a big fancy word that means patient endurance. It just means hang in there. Like it could get tough sometimes. And I don't, for one, like the word perseverance, uh, but it's part of life and it's part of the Christian faith. So the person in the Bible who I feel like personifies perseverance better than anybody else and can talk to us as we take our lap around this track about the fact that sometimes God takes some time to fulfill his promises, that person is Sarah. Sarah, has there ever been a time in your life where you felt like God had said something to you? He'd said some things, he'd made some promises, he was very clear But truthfully, there isn't anything happening. Anybody ever felt that way at any point in their life? Anybody feel that way? Okay, all right. Well, the seven people that raise your hand, you stay seated. Everybody else is dismissed. We'll see you Wednesday night. Like, yeah, we have things where, you know, we we see God has said some things, and yet I don't see those things when I look in the mirror. And, And in fact, it doesn't feel like I'm even going in the right direction. I feel like I'm going in the opposite direction of where God wants me to be. And I think Sarah's story could help us immensely today. She and her husband Abraham were given a promise. And it didn't happen quite like they thought it would. If you don't know the story, let's look at it together. Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. It says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now he's called Abram here, not Abraham. That doesn't happen until later. And, and, and her name was not Sarah here either. It was Sarai or Sarai, because... Uh, they had some things that God had to do in and through them. Okay, So the A-H part of Sarah, or the H-A part of Abraham, is Hebrew for the word God. So God said, I'm going to do some stuff in you, and I'm going to work through you. I'm going to actually change who you are. But at this time, they're Abram and Sarai. And he says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. And and that's a a, a phrase that you'll find a lot of times that is associated with or attached to the promises of God. I wish that when God told us something, when he brought something into your life, we could just say, Yay, God, thanks, take on the promise. But it doesn't always happen that way. A lot of times there's fear, there's trepidation, because what he tells us to do oftentimes is maybe a little bit on the scary side. So he'll often say, Hey, don't be afraid. But what what I'm asking you to do or what I'm calling you to or what I'm bringing into your world is going to require some perseverance. It is going to require some patient endurance. It is going to require you to get through there and hang in there sometimes. He says, don't be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household, will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Now just so you know, this promise is being given to Abraham 25 years before it came to fruition. 25 years, that's a long time to wait. So here's this Promise from God, but it's a a couple of decades before it actually comes to pass. God's going to do a miracle. He's going to bring this child into their life well past this couple's childbearing years. Their reproductive organs should be shut down, and God's going to do something very strange with this couple. And sometimes He does that, but anytime He delays a promise, there's always a purpose for that delay. He says, I'm going to give you a son who will be your heir. And then God took Abram outside and said, Look up at the sky. And count the stars, if indeed you can count them. In other words, you can't. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Today's message is for when you can't understand God, and impatience threatens to overwhelm you. Let me say that again. Today's message is for those of you who, who, who feel like I can't understand God all the time and impatience threatens to overwhelm you. I think if Sarah were here today and we were taking a lap with her, she'd say, you know what, I got imp- impatient. I started trying to figure out my own solutions to this problem and, and, and boy, did I ever mess things up. And honestly, a moment of patience can save you a lifetime of regret. No, y'all didn't get that quite as good as you should have got that. A moment of patience can save you a lifetime of regret. Come on, y'all know. You were, you were in high school, and you wanted to marry that girl that boy at 15. You wanted, oh, just, just God, let me just let them be my man. And then you've got, since then, 20 years later, you got on Facebook, and you're like, thank you, Jesus, that you didn't, Woo! Right? He was a hunk at 15. He's a tub of goo today, right? I'm not marrying him. Thank you, G. He was hunk solo. Now he's of the hut, right? You know that. And honestly, there's a lot of stuff that's like that, where in hindsight, we look back and we go, thank you, Jesus. But at 15, you're frustrated and you're fussing at God saying, why aren't you saying, why are you saying no? Why are you saying not yet? And we're praying things, and God's not answering those things the way we want them to be answered. And we get frustrated in those moments, but a little bit of time, and we go, oh, God had a better plan in place. That's why we have to learn about this impatience thing. It can actually overwhelm you and threaten your very existence. So Sarah would say, you know what, I did it. Please don't do what I did. She would say it this way, don't complicate God's promise with your solution. If God gave you a promise, let it be the promise. Don't complicate God's promise with your own solution, because she did. If you know anything about her story, she messes things up. And As we go through this story, I want to pull out three things that I think she would share with us on this lap and give you three little encouragements, and we'll get out of here. But I think Sarah would say, look, I I didn't fully trust God. If I'm honest, he told me something. I didn't believe him. I thought he was blowing a lot of hot air, but don't do what I did. Again, she's taking this lap with us around this track called life. She's saying, don't complicate God's promise with your own solution. Don't, don't do it. Don't complicate God's promise with your own solution, even if it takes a long time. Even if it takes a long time, because a lot of times it will. Yeah. And none of us like that part of God, but God is notoriously slow in our understanding of slowness. He's notoriously slow in our understanding of slowness. I, had a, uh, I heard a story about a guy who got to meet God, and uh, he's having a conversation. He goes, you know, I know your ways are higher than our ways, and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I'm just trying to understand how you think, Lord. And so um, what's a million years like to you? And God said, well, it's like a second. Wow. What's, what's a million dollars like to you, Lord? He goes, well, it's like a penny. So the guy stepped back and he goes, You think I could have a penny? <laughs> God said, Just a second. So, <laughs> God's slow. He's slow, notoriously. And our understanding of slowness, I love Second Peter 3. It says, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So we feel like he's moving into the snail space. He goes, It's just been a day. It's not even been a whole day, it's been, a, it's been less than an hour. Let's continue the story, Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar, so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Oh, you got to get this, because impatience, it has now actually warped her theology. She has bad theology. Well, God has kept me from having children. So impatience not only threatens to overwhelm you, but it actually can give you inaccurate theology where you start putting things on God that do not belong to God. That's not who he is. Well, God can't do that. God's kept me from having children. No, no, no. I've given you a promise. So just be careful. Impatience is, is very dangerous. So she says, go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I, if God can't, then I can. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed to what Sarah said. And if you know the story, Abram does bear a child through Hagar named Ishmael. And he, that child, is the father of the Arab nations. And for millennia, thousands and thousands of years, there has been conflict, especially over like Jerusalem, between the Christian culture and the Arab culture. And I just wonder, it's all between Ishmael and Isaac, and and this is where it all started. It was her choice to step out of God's promise and take matter into her own hand, I think if Sarah doesn't make this decision, we don't even have the Islamic faith. One decision, and it's, it's created, let's be honest, chaos for millennia. And a lot of times when we get impatient and we step out of God's will, then, then it does create chaos, and it can cause major issues when you take God's matters into your own hands. Here's the second thing Sarah would say if she were here today. When you're tempted to, to take those matters into your own hands, you need to trust God, even if it seems ridiculous. Because a lot of times it just will. God loves operating in the ridiculous. He just does. I know we as Christians, we love like the cookie cutter, normal Christian life. And if that's you, I'm going to pray for you, because God's going to mess you up, all right? He just loves to like, I'm going to just do things in the ridiculous. And by the way, God's normal is actually the normal. We are the ones who are abnormal. But he does things that to us are abnormal. Raising people from the dead is not normal. Miracles, which we've seen in this very church, not normal. But God operates in the abnormal. God operates oftentimes in the ridiculous. So I think we need to take steps towards those things that make us a little bit uncomfortable because we could be missing out on the very best parts of God if we don't do so. Let's keep going. Genesis 18. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. I love that, but that is funny. That is funny. So at, the t- at this time, <laughs> Abraham's 100, and she's 90. Like, you're not laughing. That's funny. That's funny. She's 90. Like, Pastor Brad talked a couple of weeks ago about about Mary and the virgin birth, and that was a miraculous birth because she had not been with the man yet. The Holy Spirit conceived Jesus. Like, this is just as miraculous. Like, she's not, she's like on the walker, like, in in Babies are Us. I'm pregnant, you know, and she's she's shopping for diapers for the baby, and then she goes and gets the pins for herself. Like, that's an issue. She's got... (laughs) 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 Yeah, you're going to have a son. And now Sarah, she's listening to the whole thing. She's listening to the whole conversation at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were already very old. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself. And this wasn't a ha-ha funny laugh. This was, are you kidding me laugh? She laughed to herself and she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? And then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I am old. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Some of you needed to declare that over your home, over your life, over your marriage, over your kids, over your career, over your finances. You need to say, is anything too hard for the Lord? With man, this is impossible. Not with God. All things are possible with God. He's a big God. Sarah is saying this as she's running this lap with us. She's saying, hey, it could take a long time, but God will fulfill his promise. And it could be strange how he does it. You need to get used to that. And you need to trust God. Here's number three. Even if those around you don't trust God. Just trust him even when those around you don't trust him because I promise you the enemy is going to put naysayers in your world. And sometimes it's the people that are closest to you. Sometimes it's people in your own church. I hate to say that, but Christians sometimes are the naysayers of what, what God wants to do in and through you. Yes. And one of my concerns about this generation is that, that we are so technological. And I'm not against technology. I love technology. I love that I can look into that camera in second service. And we'll have 100 plus people that will tune in online from all over. I have a friend in the United Kingdom in Cardiff, Wells who watched us today. I think that is so cool. Technology is awesome. And thousands will have access to this sermon today. They didn't get to do that 50 years ago. Technology is awesome. But listen... It can be very dangerous also, because you keep letting all these influences, the commentaries and the blogs and the social media, and you can hear all of these voices, and it begins to drown out the truth of what God's really trying to say to you. So just be careful with that. Sarah's saying, you got to be careful, because I had voices that were looking at me saying, Sarah, you're 90, you shouldn't be a mother, you should be a great-grandmother. Look at what she says in Genesis 21. She said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. They're going to laugh with me. You're a mama? (laughs) Right? And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? Sarah would say, listen, God knew exactly what he was doing. But my surrogate solution was a poor substitution for God's promises. My surrogate solution was a poor substitution for what God promised. Don't do what I did. Don't go there. And that's why, and this should be so encouraging to you, this is encouraging to me, that's why most of Sarah's life she lived in doubt. 90 years she lived in doubt, but she still made it. She still finished in the hall of fame of faith. Look at Hebrews eleven eleven. And by faith, even Sarah... I love that. Even Sarah, I need some even in my life. Even Reed, even you, even you, even you. By faith, even you who was past childbearing age, she was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. In the end, she realized, you know what, I come to this conclusion that I could try to make things work, but it's always God who's going to make this work. He made a promise to me. He's going to fulfill that promise. He's going to forgive me when I doubt him. He's going to still do it in spite of my doubt. He's going to let me repent. We serve a good God, everybody. Amen. I mean, just. He'll take you back. He takes her back. All right, three little points to pull out of the story. The first one is don't try to get ahead of God when he isn't moving fast enough for you. Don't try to get ahead of God when he isn't moving fast enough for you, which is oftentimes the case. I'm a very impatient person. I like to get things done. That's part of my nature. I'm, I'm a to-do list oriented guy. I like to knock things off and see those check marks, and I get impatient. Um, a lot of you know this story, but just a quick recap. My wife and I moved back to Austin in 2012, we lived here before, moved away, came back. We moved back in 2012 to start a church, to, to be a part of a church plant and to lead that. And we had a couple of families that actually moved from our hometown in Snyder, Texas, moved with us, brought their families, brought their kids, didn't have jobs. They just picked up everything and said, we believe in what you're doing. We, we like you as a leader. We want to come and help you plant this church so they're moving here. They're getting acclimated to Austin. We're meeting some other Austin people. And we got training for a year at another church and figured out how to plant. And so we're ready to go. So we get through this whole process. And uh, and we felt like we, we surveyed Austin. We went to different parts of Austin. We felt like God was leading us very specifically to the area of Westlake. And we just felt like that was where God wanted us to plant this church for a number of reasons. But primarily because it's a very big growing Part of the city, as is every part of the city, but that part of the city didn't have any new churches. Most of the churches there were 40, 50 years old with older pastors. We thought, you know what, let's go in and put a new expression of the Bride of Christ in the Westlake area. So that was the plan. That's what we felt like God was telling us. So we got an apartment complex in Westlake. Pastor Casey, who's here on staff with us, he was part of that team that moved from Snyder. And he came and he said, I'm going to get an apartment in Westlake. And so we're just loving on our neighbors. We're going door to door, evangelizing to people, telling them about Jesus, inviting them to our church service, which we didn't have yet. We're saying, hey, we're starting a church. We'd love for you to attend. And we had people that were excited about it. Yeah, we want to come. When you open the doors, let us know. But there was a problem. We couldn't find a place to have church. Because Ean's ISD is separate from Austin Independent School District, and they have their own thing, and they said, we don't really want churches in our schools, with exception to the Performing Arts Center at Westlake High School, which is very expensive, it's beautiful, but it was just too much for a startup. They said, we can't really do that. So we looked at you know, shopping centers and strip malls, just trying to find any place that would have an open window where we could do church. Kept striking out, striking out, striking out, so we finally landed a deal at Barton Creek Mall with the AMC Theater. They don't have a lot of business on Sunday morning, so we said, hey, could we, you know, rent out one of your theaters and have some church in here? And they said, we would love that. So we signed a contract with them, they said, there's one problem. We're doing some construction, making over our entire facility, and in the process, we really don't want to come into partnership with you until we get the construction completed. It could be six months, could be 12 months, ended up being longer than 12 months. But anyway, they said, we would love to partner with you, but it's just going to be a while. So we're sitting back at our apartment going, okay, what are we going to do now? And, and we have a core team, a missional core team, who's moved here with the intention of planting a church, and they don't want to, want to wait a year, right? Simultaneously, I built a great relationship with another pastor friend of mine who was a church planner in the 78704 zip code, which is that Zilker Park neighborhood. And his church, he'd been going since 2009, it's now 2014, and they were starting to struggle, and he said, I can't do it anymore, I'm tired, and I can't continue to lead this church. We would built a friendship, and he liked me, and I liked him, and so he said, "What if, what if you came and you led our church, and you could get 20 to 25 people from my church, and we don't have to close the doors, we've told them we're closing the doors, we don't have to close it, we'll celebrate that together, and then you get your 20 to 25 people, so we'll double in size immediately. And, and you'll get a better start, and we'll get to keep, keep going with this church, and, and, and I'll, I'll get out of the way. It sounded really, really good. And I think it was this, this um, perceived pressure from the, some of the core team members are going, We want to get this going. We want to have some services. And so I said, Let's do it. And we prayed about it, and, but we, we said, Let's do it. And so we did. And we started seeing some growth. The growth didn't happen immediately, it didn't happen quickly, quick enough. And about two months, maybe, month and a half, after we took over as the new leadership team, those 25 people who were part of the original church were starting to say, maybe we should just close the doors. And I'm going, whoa, 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 we just got here. Like, let us see if we can turn this thing around. And the missional core team was kind of with me, and they were kind of against the idea of even having church in the first place. And, And slowly, those voices that I was talking about began to infiltrate my team. And now my missional core team, who was so excited and moved here, is going, maybe, maybe we should close the doors. And so 14 months into the thing, we closed the church as best that we knew how and shepherded those people to other congregations. Hear me out. I think that it was my impatience and the perceived impatience of my core team members that led me to a decision that ultimately I regret today. Because I didn't go to Westlake. That's where God called me. I went to Zilker. That wasn't where God called me. But it was because of my impatience, if I can't wait another year, Lord, my impatience and the perceived impatience of my team members that I said, let's go ahead and let's fix this. I'm going to get my own solution to God's promise. And it cost me a church. And instead of starting a brand new, thriving, living body, we killed one. Now, listen, I'm okay. Because immediately after that was over, I told my wife, Jacy. I said, hey, babe, I, I, want, let's go, let's, I want to right the wrong. Let's go start a new church. Let's take who wants to come with us, and let's start over. And she said, listen, in her wisdom, she said, you're not healthy, and you have given your heart and your soul and your blood and your sweat and your tears, and you need to take a break, and I do too. And so let's just go somewhere else and serve for six months or a year or however long I believe in you. I know you'll be a great lead pastor, but let's just, let's just do this. And so, about that time, I had a conversation with my uncle, and he said, son, I would love to have you be on our team. If it's six months, or six years, or however long you're here, I'd love for you to be. And that was three and a half years ago, so I'm so thankful. <laughs> we haven't looked back, and, and I'm not lying when I say this, this three and a half years, and had that not happened, it's just God and His sovereignty have been the best three and a half years of my life, honestly, honestly. Uh, I've grown so much, and I love you so much. I'm sorry. I'm glad this isn't on camera. Okay. I'm good. But that doesn't mean that I didn't have pain, and we didn't shed real tears, and we didn't disappoint real people because of my impatience. Impatience can threaten to overwhelm you, and it can actually hurt you in a big, big way. The Bible says this in 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, instead, he is patient with you. He's patient with you. And you say, well, that's great and all, read. I love that, but what do I do in the meantime? I hear I've got a promise from God, he said some stuff to me, but it's not happening. I don't feel like I'm going forward. I feel like I'm actually going in reverse, maybe at the best case, sitting in neutral. What do I do in the meantime? I'm going to give you a secret. Are you ready for this? Here's the secret. The secret of patience is doing something else in the meantime you got to do something else in the meantime. Well, what do I do, Reed? I'm going to show you a verse. It's a great verse. It's one of my new favorite verses. This is a refrigerator verse. I want you to put it on the fridge. I want you to look at it every time you open that thing, which for me is a lot. And so you look at that verse and you say, okay, every day, say it to yourself. Psalm 37:7. be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. You can get the last part of the verse, wait patiently for him to act. If you do the first part of the verse, which is be still in the presence of the Lord. Just be still in the presence of God. Psalm 46, 10 says, be still and know that I am God. And it goes on to say that I I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with you. The God of Jacob is your fortress. Like, I just want to be still in your presence. So here's the application. I just want you to take 10 minutes every day this week and just be still in the presence of the Lord. That's all I'm asking. I'm not asking you to do Bible study or or, or prayer time. Those are great things too. I'm just saying be still. Maybe you turn on some music on your phone and you just let the worship music, the, the, the written word of God through song pour over your heart and calm the savage beast within you. Ten minutes a day, the first of the morning is great, the end of the day is great. I don't care when you do it, just ten minutes a day this week, and you'll notice, you'll start saying, wow, I I feel the presence of God, I feel the patience of God, and you'll start to change your mentality, you'll say, you know what, I'm okay with this journey you have me on. Yeah, I'd like you to speed things up, but I'm okay, I'm okay being patient because I've got your presence. And the second part of this verse, Psalm 37, 7, gives us another clue. I don't know how to have patience. It says, don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their weak, wicked schemes. He says, don't, don't worry about other people. Don't fret about other people when they dot, dot, dot. Some of us need to turn off the voices. Some of you need to get off the Facebook, okay? I love you. You need to get off the Facebook. Some of you need to turn off the, the news for a season because you're just filling your head and polluting your mind with negativity, 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 negativity. And, and you fail to see the other side. You have to understand that not in, all, not in some things or most things, but in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But if all you're hearing is the negative, you, it's hard to see the other side. It's hard to see that God is painting on that bigger canvas, that he's got something up his sleeve. He, listen, and, and, and when you hear all that stuff, I just want you to know that God's not nervous. He's not going, what happened in Syria today? No, he knows. He's got a plan. Every day has been ordained for us and written in his book before one day came to be. So if you'll worship and if you'll shut out the voices, I promise you, you'll find the patience of God to wait after him. And and it's just so much better. Here's a second tip that Sarah would give us. When you must wait, focus on what's happening in you, not what's happening to you. Let me say it this way. When something's happening to you, focus on what's happening in and through you. So let me paint that picture. A lot of times something goes wrong in our lives and we go, God, I don't need you to fix this. And God says, I would be happy to help you. I love you. But I'm actually going to do something in and through you. No, 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 no. I'm going to, I just need you to fix this. I'm good. I don't need any help. I just need you to fix this and we can move forward. And God's like, I love you. Listen, I love you too much to leave you where you are. i got to move you where I want you to be. And so I'm going to have to do something in and through you. Man, I'll, I'll go to heaven, dumber in a stump. I need you just to fix this, and I'll go on. right? He wants, he wants to do something in you and through you. You need to understand that God's more interested in your character than your comfort. And don't be surprised. You are too. You are too, right? When when my kids, when I wake them up for school, and he's right over here, and that's going to happen next month, bub, uh, I wake them up for school, (laughs) and I'm rarely met with, oh, what a beautiful morning, oh, what a beautiful day. No, that's not what my kids said. Oh, let me sleep in this morning. Dad, won't you please go away? That's what they're saying. They don't want me in there. Now, I could go, oh, that's sweet, baby. All right, well, I'm going to tuck you back in. And we'll think about going to school tomorrow. No. I say, get out of bed. Put your clothes on, right? I've got pain in their present because I've got a future purpose in mind. And God's the same way. God does the same thing. Let me ask you this. How many of you women are mothers? Mothers? A lot of you. Okay. Someone tell you a story that has nothing to do with anything. Um <laughs> So when we, when we this is funny because he doesn't even know this story. I didn't know he was going to be in service today. When we got pregnant with Zach, we had tried really hard to get pregnant. And we we tried everything. We counted and stood on our heads. We tried everything we could. And we finally conceived, and it was awesome. It was such a celebratory moment. But there were some complications with my wife and her pregnancy. And so we get to week, uh, week 36. 4 weeks premature and the doctors were concerned if we carried the pregnancy forward and so they said I think the lungs are developed on this day they can figure that out somehow and so the very next day let's do a C-section and take the baby. So it was 888 8, 8. that's his birthday August 8 2008 and so they so said we're going to take the baby. So I have to just preface it by saying I, I never took health uh, I did. I, t- I took it in high school, but I took it correspondence through Texas Tech, and maybe they've changed the way they do it. But it used to be just read a textbook, take a quiz, read a textbook, take a quiz. I never really have seen a birthing video, so my idea of a birth is what you see on TV. They give birth, and it's like a little pink baby, and it's just pretty. And so I'm like, I can handle that. So we go through all the birthing classes. So it's the time for for the day, right? The C-section, and so. My wife is there, I've got on my hospital gown and my hospital shoes and my mask and my hat and my goggles and I'm ready to go and i got a little office chair and I'm right beside her and I'm so excited. And I heard a really great piece of advice, uh, if, you're, if you're an expecting father, this is a great piece of advice that somebody told me, is that this woman is your one flesh, you'll be with her forever, that baby will graduate in 18 years, focus on her. And so I did, I just was like, hey, I love you, you're doing great, I'm proud of you. You know, I just encouraged her. And then you hear that noise, unmistakable sound of a baby's cry. You're like, "He is here! He's here! He's here!" And so they 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 take my son, and uh, they held him up, and I looked up, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> it was the most beautiful and disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I. Don't have a weak stomach. So it was like, I, that was not in any movie, I promise you. He looked like, he looked like he was covered in ectoplasma from Ghostbusters. It was just like goop. And I'm like, he looks like an alien. And it was just, it, it, I'm sure, I'm so glad that he he can't remember that thought because his, my first reaction to my sweet baby boy was like, oh, God. Oh, oh. <laughs> So, <laughs> So then I'm getting, like, I'm getting sweaty, I'm getting clammy, and I got that, those goggles on and I'm breathing hot air, and now my goggles are fogging up, so now I can't see, and I'm getting claustrophobic. I don't even get claustrophobic, I'm like, I can't breathe, and, and my wife is having surgery and she's concerned about me, and she goes, you're green, you're not, you don't look good. So all the doctors stopped what they were doing, and they said, we need to wheel him out, he's about to pass out, and so they wheeled me out on that office chair, it was the most humiliating moment of my life. You're welcome, son. You do that. You, you do that to me. All right. Um, but uh, women, if, if you've been pregnant, here's the beautiful thing about pregnancy. It's the only time in your life where pain is not telling you something is wrong, but pain is telling you something is very good. Let me say that again. It's the only time in your life where pain is not telling you something is wrong. It's telling you something is really, really good. Because normally, when you have pain, you just try to fix the pain. Oh, give me some ambasal or ibuprofen, let's fix the pain. You don't wanna fix that pain, you wanna push through that pain because there's something really awesome on the other side of that pain. You wanna fix pain, not that pain. I wanna push through that pain. Because there's something amazing on the other side. And it, it works the same way spiritually. Listen to this. This is Romans 8, 24 and 25. I love the message, the way this is worded. It says, that is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. Isn't that beautiful language? We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become. Can I get an amen from all the pregnant mamas? All right. Yeah. The longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. I love that. I love that. The longer you wait, you had a promise from God, and he could give it to you right now. And he said, no, 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 I want to wait. Because the longer you wait, the more you'll want it. And then when you get it, you'll be so much more Joyful. Because there was expectancy. Just trust me on this. God says, I want to do something in you and through you. If I give it to you right now, that's fine. But you'll be so much more appreciative. You'll be praising my name from the rooftops if you just wait a little bit and then I give you what you've been praying for. Let me say it this way. The longer you wait, the closer you are to delivery, but also potentially the more painful it becomes. That's why in the middle you have to say, God, God, there's purpose in my pain. And I know there's something good to come, so I'm going to push through it. I'm not going to try to fix it. I'm going to push through it because I know that you are at work within me. I want to give you this phrase today. Patience isn't the ability to wait, but how you act while you're waiting. I believe God wants to do something in you. And the quicker you'll accept that fact that you want God to do something through you and work in you, you'll be shifted from Sarai to Sarah, you'll say, God, I, I don't want to make my own solutions to these problems. I want to just trust you and your promise. The things that you've told me, I know they'll come to pass, so I'm going to be still in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to get rid of some of those voices, and I'm just going to wait on you. Here's the last point, Randy, if you'll come. Even our very best cannot possibly compare to anything that God has in mind. Whatever it is that you think would be the ultimate life, it pales in comparison to the best that God has in mind for you. He's got it all figured out. He does. Every day is ordained. Every day is ordained. But you've just got to walk in his step, not in your own. This is a great verse. Let this soak into your heart as we wrap this up. Isaiah 64, 4 says, Since before time began, no one has ever imagined, no ear heard, no eye has seen, A God like you who works for those who wait. Who wait for Him. God has something better than you can do for yourself. God has a much better plan for your life than you have for yourself. If you wait for Him, it's hard. I get that. So I want to encourage you. Sarah comes off the track back into the grandstands to cheer us on for the rest of our days. She looks down and she says, hey, I just want to remind you, it's work. But let God work inside of you so that your nature is changed, so that you can have the very best that he has for you. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand all over this building? I want to close today the way we closed all of our services with a promise that you can have today. You don't have to wait on this one. This is one I promise you happens today in a moment with the mention of his name. And it's the promise of salvation. Here's the problem is that all of us sin, including mine. I'm the chief amongst us that sins, okay? We all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God, but the wages of that sin It's not just sin. Like, there's a penalty for that, and that's death. In fact, Ephesians 2, 3 says, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. You deserve wrath. I deserve wrath for our sin. But God did not give you what your sins deserve. He gave his son Jesus what your sins deserve instead. He said, I love you so much that I'm going to send my son Jesus to die for your sins. Because he said, I love you. I love you this much stretched wide on a cross, I love you and I will die for your sins, past, present, and future. We are saved and forgiven by God. He's no longer counting men's sins against us. There is therefore no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus, but we have to be in him. And so the scriptures say in Romans ten nine: if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That happens today. That's not a promise you have to wait 25 years for. That happens today. You can have abundant life today, John 10, 10. You can have eternal life when you die, John three sixteen. That happens today. That's a promise fulfilled before you leave here. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that, for you to say, Lord, I do. I trust you as my Lord and my Savior. I need that promise before I get any of the other thousands of promises in your Holy Word. I need that promise fulfilled for me. So I know when we ask this, we have a lot of people that shoot their hands up and say, that's me, I want it, but you've done it many times. And that's okay. I have no problem with that. Just keep giving your life and surrendering your life to God. That's beautiful. I'm looking for those first time hands today where you'd say, "Read for the very first time I'm giving my life to Jesus. I want to surrender to Him that He would come and He would save me. He would set me free from all my sin, from all the wrath that was stored for me and I don't have to pay that price anymore. It was already paid on my behalf and I can just give my life to Him. I'm looking for those people who would say, for the first time, I want to give my life to Jesus. So, every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't want anybody influenced to not raise their hand when God is clearly telling them to raise their hand because they're afraid of what somebody on the left or right of them is thinking of them. I want you to have a moment between you and God where you would say, God, am I truly saved? Am I truly saved? And so, if, if this is the first time you're making that decision, the very first time only, I want you to slip your hand in the air as high as you can so I can see you all over this building. I see hands. I see hands. I see hands. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. I just want to know who I'm praying for. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, Scripture says in, in Romans 10, 9, you got to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead. You'll be saved. So I think we need to confess this as a church. Let's say this out loud together. Just pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus... I believe you came to earth to die for my sins, that you were buried, that you rose again on the third day, beating death and beating hell, and giving me the power to do the same through your Holy Spirit, who now empowers me. Come into my life, be the Lord of it, be my Savior. Forgive me of all my sins, past, present, and future. Start me as a new creation with you. And just thank him for his love. Just right now, just thank him for his love. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your mercy that is new every morning. We thank you for your grace that is sufficient. Amen. Hey, listen. If you just made that decision, you just made the best decision you will ever make in the history of your life, giving your life to Jesus. Come on. Let's let them hear it. Just a a hand clap of praise. I love that. Our church is designed to love you where you are. We love you when you came in the door without Jesus. But we want to move you where God wants you to be, which is closer in in a relationship with him. So I'm so excited for you. We want to help you to continue to take those next steps. Now, let me just say for the rest of you, I get this impatience thing. In 2003, I began to pray for something. And it was a promise that God had given me. I was 23 years old. God had given me this promise, and I began to pray for it. He said, you're going to get that." And I prayed in 2003, and I prayed in 2004, and I prayed in 2005, and I prayed in 2006, and I prayed for the past 15 years. And I'm not going to tell you what that is today. You'll hear about that soon enough. But July 17th, a week and a half ago, God undeniably gave me what I've been praying for. 15 years. And it was a God thing. And I'll share with you sometime, I'll share with you sometime, but listen... I just don't want you to get impatient. If God has given you a promise, for me it was 15 years, for Sarah it was 25 years, just be patient. Be still in the presence of God and wait patiently for Him to act. And I promise you, He will. Some of you are waiting for that wayward child to come back. Some of you are waiting for your marriage to get restored. Some of you are waiting for your finances to take a turnaround. Some of you are waiting for physical healing. I'm just saying, trust God because the plan He has for you is way better than the plan you have for yourself. So I just want to pray over everybody in the building one more time. Let's pray together. Jesus, right now, I pray for patient endurance. God, help every one of us to learn the lessons from Sarah's story. God, may we let you just do a deep work on the inside of us and realize you're not slow. You're just committed to growing us. You've got great things in store. So once again, we submit our lives to you. We stop trying to take control. We stop trying to come up with our own agendas and solutions. We'll be patient for your promise. And even if we don't understand it, we're going to trust you're at work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Be here Wednesday night for Ricardo Sanchez. Good afternoon.